our road to walk then and now, is copyright protected. It may not be used or sampled without the owner's written permission. Welcome to Our Road to Walk, Then and Now, a podcast brought to you from Warren County, North Carolina. It's known as the birthplace of the environmental justice movement. I'm Deborah Ferruccio. And I'm Ken Ferruccio. In our last episode, we shared with our listening audience part one of the historic January 4th, 1979 EPA public hearing at the National Guard Armory in Warren County, North Carolina, where 800 citizens attended. State officials presented their Afton-Warren County PCB landfill plans, and EPA official Jim Scarborough did his best to convince citizens that EPA-approved landfills were safe. In this episode, part two, we're sharing the next EPA hearing presentation that was made by Dr. Charles Malkai. He was a soil scientist from the University of Maryland. Warren County citizens concerned about PCBs had hired Dr. Malkai to conduct an independent on-site assessment of the Afton PCB landfill site and to analyze the state's PCB landfill plans. It was a good thing that Dr. Malkai spoke next because the polite restraint of citizens was about to shift. We had heard the state's property officer tell us why the Warren County site was the best possible site in North Carolina, and yet the state was asking for three out of five critical EPA regulations to be waived to make this site legally possible. Warren County citizens didn't much believe state engineers Strickland or Meyer either, and EPA official Scarborough's water-in-the-landfill contradictions made it clear to us that this new state-of-the-art landfill design was anything but safe. It was bogus. We could see that the PCB landfill appeared destined to fail. One citizen, a contractor and a road engineer, later described the EPA's, quote, Cadillac landfill design as a scientific fairy tale packaged for a gullible public, but it's not easy to fool people who are connected to the land. Before Dr. Malkai began his presentation, there was a hush in the crowd as everyone sat poised and ready to hear what he would say. We knew that we needed a strong scientific case against the state's plan, but we could see that the state and the EPA had a panel of scientists sitting before us. If Dr. Malkai were going to present a convincing argument, his aim would need to be straight and true. As WVSP radio announcer Jim Lee had said, this is a classic battle between the weak and the strong. After introducing himself and addressing officials and citizens, Dr. Malkai prefaced his report by saying the following. On December 27, 1978, I was asked by a Warren County Citizens Committee to examine the soils and general terrain at a site in the Afton community of Warren County, North Carolina, which the state of North Carolina had selected as a disposal site for PCB-contaminated soils. I was also asked to review the proposal submitted by the state of North Carolina to the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency concerning the disposal of soils containing PCB at the Warren County site. Dr. Malkai reported that he tested the soil at the site by using the same borings as the state along with some of his own. On the basis of his analysis, he concluded that the soil at the proposed site was intrinsically unsuitable for PCB disposal and that it couldn't be made suitable, even if it could be compacted to five times the permeability criteria required by the EPA. Dr. Malkai also strongly asserted that the engineering design of the PCB landfill would not safely contain the PCB-contaminated soil over a long period of time. Dr. Malkai explained how state officials were suggesting 
that a clay layer of perhaps ten feet in thickness was present at the site, but in actuality this layer was more representative of the upper two feet rather than for the entire ten feet. He said that the state, while testing the clay for the permeability criteria, had gone down not much deeper than twenty-four inches from the surface of the ground, but had then presented the tests as representative of the entire ten feet. Later, pursuing this point during the question-and-answer period, Dr. Malkai asked the official who had conducted the test, At what depth did you take the sample that met the permeability criteria? The official answered, Surface materials were excluded probably around five inches. I bore from this five inches down to about thirty inches. How deep were the A samples? asked Dr. Malkai pointedly meaning the samples that were represented in the state's proposal at depth from zero to ten feet? Why did you allude to them as representing ten feet? Then, insisting to the EPA administrator, Mr. White, Dr. Malkai said, they have put misrepresentative data in this application. Dr. Malkai knew that what state engineers had done was to purposely select a very narrow, shallow band of soil with the maximum clay content, and then claim this narrow band of clay was representative of the entire site. Mr. White did not respond to Dr. Malkai's polite way of saying that the state was falsifying data about the type and depth of soil that was at the site, nor did the state official who gave the report. Dr. Malkai explained that in reality there were very small amounts of clay present deep within the soils at the site, which would serve to trap escaping materials in the future. The relatively high sand contents in these lower regions would suggest that moisture movement below the burial layer would be very rapid and that there would be a risk of groundwater contamination resulting from leakage from the burial site. Having thus far based his case for unsafe disposal of PCBs on the unsuitable characteristics of the soil at the site, Dr. Malkai also criticized the engineering methods of the landfill itself. Turning to the issue of the plastic liner, he said, A dependence on such means as artificial plastic liners and barriers of soil less than 50% clay, in my judgment, may not give the safeguards necessary for storage of large quantities of PCB material. Plastic liners will ultimately deteriorate due to actions of natural forces operating within the soil. This will result in moisture movement through the disposal site, which in turn will move toxic materials. The low absorbable capacity of the kaolinite clay, the kind of clay at the Warren County site, combined with the low moisture retention properties of the clays, may not present the system from leakage of chemical waste at some future date. Dr. Malkai continued, in fact, the EPA regulation states the artificial liner beneath a site with marginal clay thickness should be 30 millimeters in thickness. The North Carolina proposal has no such liner beneath the kaolinite clay layer. In discussions with the owner of the property, Mr. Carter Pope, the North Carolina officials promised there would be a 20 millimeter liner above, below, and along the outsides of the clay liner. These promises have disappeared in the formal proposal and have been replaced by a 10-millimeter liner on top of the PCB residue. 
Continuing his criticism of the state's plan, Dr. Malkai pointed out that waiving the 50-foot minimum standard pertaining to the distance between the base of the landfill and the water tables below would violate EPA regulations. Dr. Malkai didn't know it yet, nor did the people of Warren County, but EPA regulations were about to change drastically. Dr. Malkai knew that putting a toxic landfill a few feet above the groundwater would prove to be a serious mistake. He argued that without the leachate collection system outside the burial site, leakage from the site couldn't be detected. Dr. Malkai explained, The proposal does not provide for leachate collection beneath the burial site. The leachate collection system being proposed operates within the burial site. Thus, possible leakage from the site would go undetected. Drain pipes have been shown to be damaged during backfilling operations, which rendered them non-serviceable. Without leachate collection outside the burial site, there is no means to assess their effectiveness, irrespective of the good intentions for saving taxpayers' dollars, said Dr. Malkai. The sites around the U.S. where leakage from chemical waste sites has been detected should be adequate forewarning to avoid cost-cutting procedures that may endanger the success of making this a safe site. We would later learn that leaving out the leachate collection system beneath the PCB burial site wasn't the only way the state could avoid responsibility for polluting the environment. We would also learn that the groundwater monitoring wells designed to detect leakage outside landfills often don't detect landfill leakage because of where they are placed. Dr. Malkai continued with his testimony. I have reservations about using kaolinite clay at a chemical waste site. The very low absorptive capacity may allow the material to escape. I would look at the chemical exchange capacities of the clay, which determines whether it will hold material or not. You can compress something. If it will not hold it, it will diffuse through it. You're talking about mass flow through soil. I'm talking about diffusion through the soil. You're going to get diffusion from that site, even with that sand layer. It will make it even easier for it to diffuse because a nice little pool will form right at the bottom of the pit, and the chemicals will move through the five-foot layer by diffusion. Dr. Malkai continued, Materials move by two means, mass flow and diffusion. Water circulating through the soil is mass flow movement. The majority of chemicals can move through the soil by diffusion. Later, Dr. Malkai would further explain that a good example of mass flow would be to say if a plant is transpiring water, water would be moving from the soil along the soil surface to the plant root and then up through the shoots. It would sweep nutrients with it. Then he explained, all materials diffuse from an area of high chemical potential to an area of low chemical potential, like a dead battery, which is charged by a full battery. Dr. Malkai gave an example of the fusion. You can put oil in a steel drum, and you can rub your hand over the outside of that steel drum at some future date, and there will be a thin film of oil there. How did that oil get there? It diffused through the metal. Dr. Malkai finally summed up his objections to the state's PCB plan, stating, These soils are highly, highly variable. They are not nice, uniform soils, as state officials tried to indicate in some of those graphics in that first proposal. 
It was the most ridiculous description of the soils at those particular sites that I think I've ever read. It was the most non-professional description of the soils that they could possibly have put together. And that bothered me, that these are supposed to be engineers, soil engineers. They're more in the area of civil engineers, I would think. They totally ignored the soil expertise that was available in the state to characterize these soils and to really do an excellent job of delineating the variability there to where that would help them better plan to construct a better site. That is totally missing from all of their work, and that's the main sticking point that I have. You should have parameters estimated with much more confidence. For example, they've got the water table varying as much as 6 to 10 feet. They don't even really know where the mean water table is. You read four or five different descriptions, and each one says it's at a different place. Well, they're talking about setting this thing seven feet above the mean water table when they can't even identify where that mean water table is. So that is the kind of lack of professional description of the site that really bothered me. And it's bothered some other consultant firms that I've had look at it. I haven't just trusted my judgment. I've gotten another outfit totally divorced from my thinking to look at it, and they came up with the identically same conclusions that I did. So I felt a little bit better after that, that at least I'm not totally whistling in the wind. Dr. Malkai's scientific assessments of the unsuitability of the PCB site and of the impossibility of making it safe by the engineering design of the landfill were not whistling in the wind at all. He might just as well have been, though, because state and EPA officials never intended to listen to him. Dr. Malkai's scientific testimony drove straight to the heart of the problem with landfill technology everywhere, and we could clearly see what he was saying. The EPA could build its so-called state-of-the-art Cadillac PCB landfill, but it was destined for failure. The soils weren't suitable. The water table was too close. The fail-safe landfill promises were impossible. The site selection criteria were geographic and demographic. Warren County was ideally located for East Coast dumping grounds, with Interstate 85 and the Seaboard Coastline Railroad running through the county and with Interstate 95 nearby. Also, Warren County was sparsely populated. But as poor as the county was, the second poorest county in the state with the highest black population, it was not without political clout. We had notable local black and white leaders who were politically well-positioned, but who did nothing to help us stop the PCB landfill. They were state and regional industrial developers, civil rights leaders, attorneys, and a state cabinet member. In the end, we got the worst possible PCB landfill because Warren County citizens couldn't afford, after our initial efforts, to hire a full-time independent scientist. Dr. Malkai did what he could. He made a strong scientific case against the state's PCB landfill plans, yet he was a busy Maryland professor who couldn't take on the long-term job of opposing the PCB landfill. If we Warren County citizens had been able to afford to pay the long-term costs of qualified independent scientific representation, and if we'd been able to afford independent oversight throughout the process, the state would probably have looked for another option for the PCBs along the roadsides, possibly to take these PCBs to the interstate EPA-approved Alabama hazardous waste facility that had 600 feet of heavy clay between the bottom of the landfill and groundwater. 
We knew that even the EPA referred to landfill communities as sacrifice zones, and over the years that followed, we would learn that poor and often minority communities bear a disproportionate burden of toxic pollutants, which perpetuates environmental injustice and environmental pollution. We learned also from our own PCB landfill cleanup experience that poorer communities get fewer and less stringent cleanups and that what cleanups they get take longer to achieve. Why? Because poor citizens don't have the resources to pay for independent scientific and legal experts and oversight to represent their interests. The truth is that from this January 4, 1979 hearing onward, Ken and I have been cognizant of the fact that we haven't merely opposed unsafe landfills in our own backyard. We've opposed unsafe, unjust waste management practices that affect everyone's backyard. While we've been motivated to defend Warren County because we love it, over the long haul, we've been motivated to fight the larger waste management issues because we've known our Warren County PCB landfill has helped set precedents, good and bad, for environmental justice and injustice across the country. In our next episode, Episode 11, Part 3 of the January 4, 1979 EPA public hearing, The People Speak Out, We'll be sharing the transcribed words of citizens who were adamant that their public sentiment would be heard, citizens who held state and EPA officials until 2.30 in the morning when the hearing ended and when WVSP Radio signed off the air. Please join us again on our road to walk then and now. Thanks for listening.